Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. What a week to live through. Uh, It's kind of historical in the sense that we've never experienced not even a week, but a year like this in my lifetime. So we have to keep trust in the Lord, and we have to know the truth that there is spiritual warfare, there is a good, and there's an evil. And uh, Satan is known as the father of lies. That's his title. You know, Jesus says he's the father of lies. And he also gave us his purpose statement, which was to kill, steal, and destroy. And I think he's working overtime. But we have to remember, too, that God is still seated on the throne. He allows things to happen, but everything has to sift through him. He's the one that makes the ultimate decision. He's in control. And here's the thing about God. He never lies. He's always truthful. And his word is true. And we can rest in that reality. And as I was praying this week, the Lord put on my heart and he said to me, watch what I will do. Watch what I'm going to do. And that's what I'm holding on to because God's going to do a great thing. There was a man who was stranded on a deserted island for a lot of years. And finally, one day, these people come up in a boat and they find him and they rescue him. But as the rescues are looking around, they see three huts and they're interested. And why is there three huts? So he asked the guy, uh, what's that? Which hut is that? And he said, oh, that's my house. And the guy, oh, okay. Go, what's what's the second hut? He goes, that's my church. And the rescuer goes, oh, okay. What's the third hut? And the man says, that's the church I used to go to. Today, we're going to talk about how important God's church is, that he would spend two chapters in the last book of the Bible talking about the church, and not just talking about the church, talking to the church. Now, if you're like me, we know we fail. As believers, we fall, we fail. The church has failed, if we're honest. But God never fails. God loves His church. And if we're believers and we don't love God's church, then I have to question our heart, our motives of why we're doing what we're doing. You know, Revelation chapters 2 through 3 consists of letters that are written to seven churches. These are real churches that existed during the time of John. And John, remember, he's on an island called Patmos, which is off the coast of Greece. And he's there, not on a vacation. He's there because he's in exile because of his testimony of Jesus Christ. And then on that island, John receives a vision, a revelation from Jesus Christ. And as I said last week in the first sermon, it's all about Jesus Last week, I spoke about the characteristics of the risen, glorified Jesus Christ. And if you didn't watch that sermon, try and watch it because it kind of flows all together. We're going from John's vision, the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 1, and now we're coming to realities on the earth, what was going on. And do you remember what the verse was that I said was the key verse in Revelation chapter 1, that unlocks the meaning of the book. Does anyone remember? Chapter 1, verse 19. That's right. And what does it say? It says this, Write the things seen, the things which are, and the things to come. 
So that's the outline for the book of Revelation. If we follow the instructions, we follow the outline, it makes sense. So last week, we talked about the thing seen, which is Jesus Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ in heaven, glorified. Today, we're going to talk about the things which are, which is the church age, the age we live in. And then chapter four begins the things to come. And it flows through the rapture, the great tribulation, Israel, the beast or the antichrist, Babylon, second coming, and new beginning. So once we stick to that outline, I think the book will start to make sense. Now, today, we get to hear directly from Jesus words to the church back then. Imagine sitting in the church back then and hearing your pastor read the letter to your church from Jesus. Imagine today that you're sitting in the church and you're going to hear your pastor read the letters to our church from Jesus and to the church in general. I'm really excited about this because God has something to say, not only yesterday, today. Now there's seven churches. Each church is represented by certain characteristics and personalities. The church is a picture, I believe, of every kind of church. Each church represents a certain type of church. And God speaks to them, Jesus does, and he has good things to say, and he has some things to work on. And he's very straightforward. He doesn't mince words. He's the truth, so he speaks truth. He speaks in love. He doesn't condemn, but he wants us to grow in him and in his love. So we're going to hear the good, we're going to hear the bad, and we're going to hear the ugly. Remember, Jesus is the Word, and the Word is a two-edged sword. It can cut, but heal. It's like a surgeon's knife. It cuts, but that surgeon's knife also heals. So we're going to talk about these seven churches. As we're going through this, the question is, to which church do you belong? Which church do you think you would belong to during that time? But what church are we? What kind of church are we? So we're going to talk about the seven churches. We're going to begin with church number one which is Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and this is the unloving church. This is a church that's just going through the motions. I believe that this church represents a lot of the church before 2020. To be honest with you, I think that many of us were going through the motions. It's like, oh yeah, we'll go to church. We have a place to go. We go and do my hour, and then I go home and do my things, and then 2020 hit. And then we're like, whoa, (laughs) maybe we shouldn't go through the motions. Maybe we should mean it. Maybe we should love God and love others. Now, Ephesus was the largest city in this area, Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. Notice each church that Jesus speaks to is in a geographical area. So that's important because churches kind of take on the personality of the city, sadly, and the community instead of being an example to the city and the community. And I believe this is important, that the church be an example to the community. That's why our church has a vision for a community center that's going to be built. It's going to be a place where people can come and see God in action. Now, Ephesus, sadly, housed one of the largest pagan temples in the area. This church was founded by Paul, the apostle, 
on his third missionary trip. So when you go through the book of Acts, you get to the end of Acts and his third missionary trip, and he's in Ephesus, and he plants this church sometime around the early 50 ADs, around 50 AD. Now, when did John write this book? So he received the revelation. He wrote it down in about 95 AD. Okay? So in a matter of only about 40 years, the church in Ephesus lost what was most important. What's that? Their love for Jesus Christ. They lost their first love. The book of Acts reveals a healthy growing church in the beginning when you see the book of Acts and you read it. But then things get messed up because leave it to us to mess things up. Now I'm going to read passages directly from the Bible. So I encourage you to grab your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to go through this, and we're going to find out about each church, and we're going to begin here with Ephesus. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Jesus tells John, and he writes this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. And last week, I kind of helped you understand when it says to the angel, the word in Greek is angelos. It can mean messenger. So I believe it's to the pastor. So these are sent to the pastors of each church, and they're supposed to read it. And then this is what Jesus said to Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars. Now, what are the seven stars? Those are the seven angels or the seven pastors, the seven messengers. In his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What are those? Those are the seven churches. And so he says in verse 2, I know your deeds and your perseverance, and you don't tolerate evil people. And you put things to the test and you call out false prophets and false teaching and you have perseverance and you have all these good things. But look at verse four. But I have this against you that you have lost your first love. You left me. And he goes on. He goes, so remember how far you've fallen and repent And start doing the work from a heart of love rather than a heart of just going through the motions. I'm going to be dutiful. You know, I'm going to be legalistic. I'm going to do good things for God and forget who you're doing it for and why you're doing it. And what does Jesus say? If you don't, I will remove your lampstand. If you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. What? Wow. You mean... That God's just going to take that church and remove their lampstand? Well, here's what it means. It means that you're going to cease to exist because you can't keep just going through the motions. That won't be blessed. You won't bless other people and you won't exist. Sadly, that's what happens to churches. And in fact, today in Turkey, the population is 99.8% Muslim and only 0.2% Christian. So we need to remember how far we've fallen and repent and love Jesus with all our heart and our soul and our mind and strength. And then in all these letters, he says, if you have an ear, hear them. Okay? What the Spirit is saying to the churches. So please, let's listen to what God's Spirit, through the Word, Jesus is saying to us. The next church is Smyrna, and this is the suffering church. This is the persecuted church. Smyrna was the center of military and political activity, and it was located right on the Aegean Sea, 
rich with farmland. And although the city was powerful and rich, that local church in Smyrna was poor and suffering. You know what Smyrna means? It comes from the word myrrh, which is used for burial. It's a burial spice. Now, the interesting thing about myrrh is the smell of it, the beautiful smell, does not come unless it's crushed. So Smyrna represents the persecuted church that when it's crushed, that's when the smell of Jesus comes and fills the earth. So let's look at verse 8. And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Smyrna, the first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. And every time Jesus gives a little more insight to who he is, in verse 9 he goes, I know your tribulation and I know your poverty, but you are rich. And the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And what Jesus is saying is, there's an adversary fighting against you that doesn't want you to succeed. In fact, he doesn't want you to succeed. He wants to kill you. And if you think about the persecuted church, we think about the persecuted church. I do. I've been in um, India and different places where the church is persecuted. And I think we take for granted what we have. Now, it could get worse at any second. But here's the thing. In that crushing, I mean, have you felt crushed lately? In that crushing, the beautiful smell of Jesus fills the earth. So remember that. That's an important thing. That's the second church. And by the way, that's only one of two that Jesus doesn't rebuke in some way. Then third is the church in Pergamum, which is the unorthodox church. False teaching. Pergamum, interestingly enough, means objectionable marriage. Gamos means marriage. Per is perverted. Again, perverted marriage, basically. Perverted marriage. The church, this church, was married to the state rather than the Savior. Now, some see chapters 2 through 3 not only as letters to different types of churches, but some see it as representing the history of the church, the 2,000 years of the church. I don't know if I'll go that far, but I'll tell you this, it does represent what has happened historically with the church. Here's what happened. In 350 AD, Constantine, he was the emperor of Rome, he became a Christian. And he directed the government of Rome because the church was receiving heavy persecution. He lifted the persecution and the church became the state church known as the Roman Catholic Church. And it partnered with Rome. Now, whenever you have that happen, you have an objectionable marriage, a perverted marriage. And what comes out of that is false teaching. So let's look at verse 12. Here it says, And to the messenger of the church in Pergamum, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, so Jesus says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and some believe that's where the altar to Zeus was. Okay, So I know you live there, and you do hold fast to my name, and you don't deny my faith. But jump to verse 14. But I have these few things against you, Pergamum, because you have there some who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Now, who is Balaam? Balaam was a prophet who was a false prophet. And actually, 
He caused Israel to enter into a perverted marriage with Moabite pagan women. So there was an objectionable marriage. Jesus is saying, don't be married to anybody or anything except me. Okay? So that's the church. And then what does he say in verse 16? Repent, or else I'm coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus is saying, I'm going to call you out because I love you and I don't want you to be married in an objectionable marriage. Come back to me and be married to me. That's the third church. Then the fourth church is the church in Thyatira, which is the compromised church. Thyatira was on a vulnerable city. It was in a valley. So it was very susceptible to being attacked by the enemy. Not only physically, but a spiritual attack happened and a compromise happened to this church. Let's go to verse 18. And to the messenger of the church in Thyatira, right? The son of God who has eyes like flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. So that's about judgment. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service. So he commends them. It's awesome how Jesus does commend them for their good things. But then verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? It's one of the worst people in the Bible, actually, Jezebel. She was the daughter of a pagan king, the king of Tyre. But Ahab, the king of Israel, married her. So there was an unequal marriage there. And Jezebel was a worshiper of Baal, or Baal, the god of fertility. And what Jezebel did, she influenced her husband, Ahab, to introduce Baal worship into Israel. Now that's not good. She tried to destroy the prophet Elijah, and she had hundreds of her own prophets that went after him, and then in turn tried to kill Israel. And she took them away through her husband of the worship of the one true God. So that's what happened. That's why that church was compromised. If we jump down to verse 24, But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not belong to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. So isn't that cool? Because there are people, even in these type of churches, a compromised church, that are not compromised. And Jesus is saying, be like those people. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. So that's the fourth church. To the fifth church. Sardis, that's the dead church. Okay, the dead church. The church in Sardis had a really good reputation, but reputations are important to people. Character and integrity is what's important to God. See, reputation is what people see. Character is what God cares about. And integrity. It's who you are when you're not in the spotlight. Let's look at chapter 3 now to the angel or the messenger of the church in Sardis, right? He who has the seven spirits of God, that's the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars, that's the pastors or the messengers, say this, I know your deeds or your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. He's saying, you know, you have a great reputation with the people. You have a name, but you are dead. And then he says, 
wake up. What I think here is, and we all do this, we all try to promote our own name rather than the name of Jesus. There's churches that promote the name of their church above the name of Jesus. We should never do that because there is no other name above the name of Jesus. So that's the fifth church. And the sixth church is the church in Philadelphia. This is the faithful church, actually. What does Philadelphia mean? It means brotherly love. It's love, philos, of brothers. Adelphia, sadly, no city is really living up to that name, right? We're not living up to the name that that name was given to love your brother. But when a church gets it right, though, the world is changed. Think about it. How many things have been done in the name of Jesus and the love of your brother and your sister that changed the world? I mean, hospitals, orphanages, Samaritan's Purse. I mean, we can go on and on. All those ministries, all those missionaries and missionary type ministries that reach the world are because they're doing it in the name of Jesus, but because they love their brother and sister. And when a church is faithful to do that, to put God's name up there and to keep his word and to love other people, great things happen. That's why Philadelphia is the other church that has no rebuke. It's the church of the open door. So let's read that, verse 7 of chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your works. Behold, I have put before you an open door that no one can shut. See, when God opens a door, no one can shut it. Because you have little power, but you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, I mean, that's the adversary against the church, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet, Philadelphia, the church Philadelphia, and make them know that I have loved you because you have kept my word. Now, how many times is he saying this? Because you have kept my word and you persevere. And look what he says. I will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. What's that? The great tribulation, the day of the Lord. That's going to be for the people on the earth. And Israel will be redeemed during that time, which I believe is going to happen soon. And you don't want to be left here for that. You want to be like these people. You want to keep God's word. You want to love him and place your faith in him. And then you receive grace and mercy. And you don't have to try and open your own door because that never works. I mean, look at this year. How many times have we tried to make things happen? Not just this year. I mean, that's my life. Make things happen. We're going to do this. We're going to go out and and conquer this and that. And then we don't wait for the open door. And then when the door doesn't open, we get upset, you know, at God. God, did you let me down? No, you got to go through the desert a little while. You got to be crushed. And then watch me open the door. That's why God tells me, watch what I'm going to do. We, the church, have experienced a time of crushing. And maybe it's not done. 
But we have to trust God because God will open and what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. He holds the key. Thy will be done. Not my will, but your will. He goes on. I'm coming quickly in verse 11. Hold fast that you, what you have, the word of God, so that no one will take your crown, which is a special reward for those who are faithful. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which will come in the future, which comes down out of heaven for my God, and that will be our final place where we will be with God forever. And my new name, because Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. And then he says in verse 13, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you have an ear to hear? Have your eyes been opened by the Spirit of God? Then we need to listen to the Spirit of God and turn off the TV and turn off all the lies and listen to the truth. And we have one more church. And I think this is the worst church of all, to be honest with you. It's church number seven, Laodicea, which is the lukewarm church. This is the apathetic church. Not hot, not cold. Have you ever tasted lukewarm stuff? I was in England one time, and I asked for a soda, Coke, and it came with no ice. I wanted to throw up. It tastes gross. So here's Jesus. He's saying, let's look at that, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, which means truth, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's Jesus speaking of himself. says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are not cold or hot, but in the middle, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Now what does that mean? It means that God can't use a church like that. Now when I say that, God can use anything, so don't get me wrong. But when he says I spit you out of my mouth, he's basically saying you're no good right now. I'd rather have you hot like the church in Philadelphia or cold like the dead church. But man, being in the middle, where are you? You can't be in the middle with Jesus. You're either in or out. You can't be on the fence. You're either in or out. If you're in the middle and you've lived through this much of 2020, something's wrong with you. Ask God to open your eyes. The church, sadly, I believe, has fallen, generally speaking, has fallen for the lies of the devil instead of listening to the truth of God. A lukewarm church, man, I've seen them. I've been there. In fact, if you look at the denominations that have come about during the history of the church, you'll notice that the ones that are lukewarm, that are neither on God's side, and they're kind of in the world, they're kind of in God's side, they're dying. It's the ones that are on fire that stay truthful and stay true to the word and persevere and work from a heart of love and love God and love their brother and sister and love others. Those are the ones that are growing. But it all starts with keeping the word of God. Because if we can't even do that, we might as well be a social club. This is the church. 
he ends here in verse 17. He goes, you say you're rich, but you're poor. You're blind. You're naked. And then verse 19, those whom I love, this is why he's doing this. He loves this church. He loves you. I reprove and discipline you. And so turn around and be zealous, be hot and repent. And then, interestingly, verse 20 is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and will dine with him and he with me. Now, interesting, he just talked about spitting them out of your mouth. But if you repent and you open the door of your heart and let me in fully and not just close off areas, let me in. I'll eat with you. Isn't that amazing? I will eat with you and you with me. Now, many evangelists have used that verse to evangelize. If you hear God's knocking at your door, open the door and he'll come in. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But this is to a church. This is to the church. Jesus is saying to the church, open your heart. Because the church has fallen away from our first love. And we become lukewarm. Let's decide. If you're not on fire for God, then I pray that you would say, Lord, make me on fire for you. If you're on the other side, come back. We need you. We need every believer to get in the game right now. If you can't see that, then you're not seeing the reality of what's going on. This is a spiritual battle. We need everybody on the battlefield. If we can't see what's going on, then we don't have eyes to see and we don't have ears to hear. I pray against that in Jesus' name. And I pray that the light will come on and we will be fully engaged in the things of God. So those are the seven churches. Now, what does that mean? The important reminder is this. The church is made of people. Therefore, the church is characterized by the people. So when Jesus speaks to the church and he sends it to the pastor to read, and I'm preaching the word and teaching the word to the church, and I'm feeding the church, because that's what Jesus said, feed my church, feed my people. I can't force you to eat. You have to eat. You have to drink. And not just Sundays, every day. Every day, you eat of the word, you drink of the word and the spirit, and you listen to the voice of God, and you tune out the voice of the devil. Or you hear the voice of the devil, and you say, that's the voice of the devil, because that doesn't align with what God says. That's the true living church. So the biggest takeaway is the church is important to God. We have to accept this as messed up as we are is the most important thing on the face of the planet. The church is the kingdom of God being expressed to the people. The church is the place where we learn and we grow and we mature in Christ. The church is the place where we fellowship. The church is the place where we reach out to the needs of the church and of the community. This is the body of Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his voice. What's your biggest takeaway? This week, read Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Let God speak to your heart and listen to him and write it down like John did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that you reprove us and correct us 
because you love us. You also encourage us and you give us incredible insight into your plan, which is a good plan, which is an awesome plan. And we get to be a part of your plan. And like the church that has been going on for 2,000 years, the church has always been persecuted. We need to know this. It's never going to not be persecuted. So, Lord, if we're being crushed, may that crushing cause the smell of Jesus to fill the world. If we're lukewarm, we apologize and we want to be hot. I don't want to be cold. I want to be hot for you, Lord. If I've lost my first love, I'm sorry. Thank you for your grace. And please, Lord, set us and set me on the right track. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me your voice.